0: And I found time to study. I set out several weeks before my exam. I would take my lunch break, and I would pop up my book, and then I would just go through the material and just practice that. And and that was my lunch. You know, I would eat and study, eat and study, and (laughs) just taking a step forward got me to where I was ready for the exam. And even when I was taking the exam, I was like, you know, not sure, but I was able to pass. If you're struggling for time, you can find time, you just got to be creative with where you're going to get that time.
1: Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. We want to say thank you to our listeners who reach out to us and leave comments on our website and on social media. We love hearing from you and we always appreciate your positive ratings on Apple Podcast or whichever podcast listening app you use. You can also leave us a comment on our website, velocityteach.com. We know you're looking for opportunities to acquire professional development units towards recertifications, and you can still claim PDUs for all our podcast episodes. Listen up at the end of the show for information on how to claim your PDUs. We're doing something a little different today. We're actually going to be talking about the PMP exam, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Velocityteach and our approach to this exam.
2: Yeah, the exam changed January 2nd, 2021. We've got several months under our belt now. We made a lot of updates prior to that exam change, and we've been able to see how well our updates are working. Primarily, are our students passing?
1: Right. We're going to hear from a student as well. We have a student who has recently passed the exam. He's going to be giving us a little bit of insight into his exam process.
2: For our listeners who are thinking about pursuing the PMP, this is a great episode for them. They're going to learn a lot about the current exam and really looking deeply into it so they'll know what to study, what kind of content to expect. And then for those who have already earned their PMP but are curious about changes to the PMP exam or to the certification itself, this will be interesting as well.
1: Yeah, and we want to give a big welcome to Lewis. Lewis Alderman manages the instructional design process at Velocity. He's responsible for curriculum development of our live class offerings as well as the development of our courses delivered on Insight. Lewis is the expert on all things PMP exam, and we are very grateful for his time.
3: Now that's a strong claim. <laughs> um, I tend to not classify myself as an expert, an ex being a has-been and a spurt being a drip under pressure. But uh, thank you for those accolades, and it's more than my pleasure to be here today.
1: It's good to talk to you, Lewis. We're going to enjoy this. So, Bill, let's start with a bit of context and background. Why exactly was there a change to the exam? The
2: main reason for the change to the PMP exam, okay, there, there are two reasons that it changes, either a new PMBOK guide or there's a new role delineation study. Because it's an ANSI standard, the PMP exam has to be updated every four to six years to align with the ISO and ANSI standards for certification industry best practices. Because of this, PMI has to do a global survey. They call it a role delineation study in RDS every four to six years. In this case, they did a global practice analysis, which resulted in a job task analysis. But what's the big question, Lewis? Why do they do this?
3: Well, they want to keep the profession of project management and their certification of that project management professional, they want to keep it current. And so let's survey a representative sample of project managers today to find out what do you do every day? What are the tasks you do? What are your responsibilities? How accountable are you in your organization for the role of project manager? And what falls out of that survey are a list of tasks that PMI will categorize and understand where does that task belong in our overall view of project management.
2: Which brings us to our next question.
1: Yes, what exactly changed in this exam? And there is something called the ECO. If you could give us some clarification on that.
2: Yep, so the ECO is the exam content outline and... Let me just introduce a character here. Sierra Hampton-Simmons is someone I know, a friend of mine at PMI. She is the director and portfolio leader of certification products at the Project Management Institute. Bottom line, Sierra is in charge of the PMP exam. So when she describes the ECO, she calls it the blueprint for the exam. It lines out what's in the exam,
3: what kind of questions are going to be asked, what's the format, that
2: type of thing.
3: You know, Bill, that should clear up a very common misconception because traditionally people have felt that the PMP exam was based on the guide to the PMBOK or the Project Management Body of Knowledge that is also published by PMI and incorporates that ANSI standard of project management. So a lot of thinking is if I read the Project Management Body of Knowledge, this guidebook to this body of knowledge, that I will be prepared to take the exam. Not so. No, that's not true. Because this exam content outline, as Sierra said, is the blueprint for Mm -hmm. the exam. And so it's presented a lot differently than the guide to the PIMBOK.
2: Right. And the PIMBOK guide, it's interesting. The PIMBOK guide is one of maybe 20 books that are referenced. Mm -hmm. And when the exam writers, and we'll get into that in a little more detail, but it's only one of 20 plus resources that they have to reference when they write a question. Per the ECO that's going to go into the exam bank for the PMP exam.
3: So there's not just one place to go source information and knowledge about project management in preparation for the exam right. in that way of thinking. Right. So the
2: exam content outline is not that big. It's maybe what, 15, 20 pages? Yeah, something like that. It's such an important document. It's short, but it's very important. I'm going to quote from the exam content outline. This is from page one. It says the following All the questions on the examination have been written and extensively reviewed by qualified PMP certification holders and tracked to at least two academic references. These questions are mapped against the PMP exam content outline to ensure that an appropriate number of questions are in place for a valid exam. To me, there's two big takeaways there. The questions that are written by PMP volunteers. They have to have two references, and they have to map to the ECO.
3: Well, the previous exam content outline detailed an entirely different structure of domains and tasks. And from domains, let's talk about areas of interest. For example, the previous ECO had five domains, and it was Mm -hmm. based on the process view of project management from PMI's Guide to the PMBOK. And it talked about initiating and planning and executing and monitoring and controlling Mm. and closing, you know, a very process focus. And the biggest change in the new exam content outline is that it's moved from those five domains to three domains. And they're not aligned per se with processes, but more of practices and tasks. So the three domains now are process as one. People and the business environment, which projects are performed.
2: And in the ECO, those three are given percentages in terms of the number of questions that are going to be dedicated to each one. So, people, that domain is 42%, mm-hmm. process is 50%, and business environment is 8%. So, people, process, business environment, that makes up the 100% or the entire test. But those domains are broken down further to help us get clarity on what those are.
3: Yeah, each domain is broken down first into discrete tasks. And with those three domains, there are actually a total of 35 different tasks that are broken out that are associated with each of those domains. And I think it's important for a person preparing for the PMP exam to be very familiar with those tasks. You know, Bill. People always talk about the PMP exam is a scenario-based exam. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to ask what is two plus two. They may ask you run into a situation where you have two of these and two of those, and what do you really need to do with four of the total? You know, <laughs> so it's going to be a scenario. And I think as the test taker prepares, that it would be very beneficial to be very familiar with the tasks that are listed in the exam content outline, because the test taker will be much more readily identifying the scenario and sort of understanding, why is PMI even putting this on the exam? What is it they want me to show that I know? Well, you need to know that you have to perform one of these tasks. Bill, tell me, how do we know more about these tasks? Because the ECO gives us even more detail. Yeah. So under each
2: task, there are bullet points, and those bullet points are called enablers. And these are described as illustrative examples Sort of illustrations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And let me just give an example. So under the, the domain of people, so we said people is one of the three domains. It has a task called manage conflict, right? So project managers, part of their job is going to involve managing conflict on a project. So that task of manage conflict has three enablers. Those enablers are interpret the source and stage of the conflict. The second one is analyze the context for the conflict, understand what's going on. And then third, evaluate, recommend, or reconcile the appropriate conflict resolution solution. So those three enablers help us understand, okay, by manage conflict, what are the enablers? What are the things that are expected of me as a project manager? And then very tactically, on the PMP exam, what kind of questions should I expect related to managing conflict?
3: So in that scenario, you may be posted a scenario for a particular conflict example, and maybe your task on the exam is to choose the best method of conflict resolution. And, you know, that's not a new question for the PMP exam. Those have been there, it seems like, under leadership and under direct and manage project execution. But now we're just pitching it a little bit differently as how to deal with people and how to resolve conflict. Conflict within your project team, conflict with stakeholders, conflict with customers, conflict with your finance department. Well, we won't go into that. <laughs> yep. So just to, to
2: summarize, we have three domains. We talked about people, process, and business environment. The exam content outline breaks out those domains into 35 tasks. And then there are 133 enablers that describe those tasks further. No, there's another cut on this as well, and I I love the visual that you created in our quick reference guide, Lewis. There's the cut of, okay, there's 42% people, 50% process, 8% is business environment, but then there's another cut of predictive, agile, and hybrid.
3: Right. I mean, if you slice on a different angle, you know, Mm -hmm. I think of the Vegematic. You slice one way, then slice the other way, and you get crinkle fries. So, some of the crinkles in the exam Definitely the domains is listed in the ECO, but in the ECO, it also mentions that about half of the questions are going to be predictive, sort of the traditional waterfall type of sequential project Mm -hmm. management that a lot of us cut our teeth on. But the remaining half of the exam would be a mix between pure agile types of questions, adaptive, incremental delivery, iterative delivery. And then another term called hybrid, which might look like an agile question to the test taker because hybrid would involve some agile as well. There's a big message here, I think, for test takers, and that is better learn some agile if that's not in your uh, tool bag today.
2: absolutely. That is so true. Back in 2019 at the uh, PMI Global event, Sierra, who I mentioned before, and some others had presented information to PMI volunteers and REPs as we were back at that time, and that information was 50% would be predictive, 23% would be agile, 27% hybrid. But the reality is, we know in the exam content outline, it says about 50% predictive and 50% for the other. But when you look at agile and hybrid, it's hard to tell those apart. So for the exam taker, I wouldn't obsess over that. Just know that it's about half and half predictive versus adaptive or agile Mm -hmm. and plan accordingly.
1: Yeah, I've been waiting for you to get into talking about Agile. PMI has the PMI-ACP exam, so why do they add the Agile questions to the PMP exam?
3: You know, they're a little bit different. The ACP stands for the Agile Certified Practitioner, and this is a person who is certified in their sort of their day-to-day work. They're familiar with Agile methodologies. Um, You know, there's Scrum, there's Extreme Programming, there's Lean, there's Unified processes that we can discuss. And those are their day-to-day methodologies. But the PMP exam is looking more at a higher level, if you will, principles and the values of Agile and how that guides project management. And it doesn't seem to highlight or focus as much on specific methodologies of Agile.
2: Yeah, it doesn't go as deep. That's a great point, Lewis. And it's funny too, it kind of goes back to that global survey And the job task analysis, when they did the survey, PMI found that project managers were using a number of different project management approaches, and Agile was one of those. It was quite popular and in a lot of use. Uh, So PMI decided, okay, for the PMP, we need to add more Agile content to the exam. And of course, this was addressed back in, uh, there's even an article in PMI Today back in July 2019 that points to this. But here's the problem that poses. It's like if I walk into this PMP exam and let's say all I've done is agile, I don't really know anything about predictive. I've got some studying to do. So, for the agile practitioner, they really got to study predictive. And then flip that, if I've done predictive projects in the past, let's say I'm an engineer or an architect, and I really have had no reason to apply agile practices. Now I've got to study agile if I want to pass the PMP exam.
1: Could you get a little bit more specific, a little bit more in the weeds?
2: Yeah. Okay. So we can. Obviously, we can't talk about specifics of the exam, but we've given you a lot of details about the exam content outline. But here's some stuff that we recommend in class. You've got to get in the mindset of PMI. You have to think, okay, everything from the exam content outline, looking through those enablers to looking at the code of ethics and professional responsibility. Mm -hmm and uh, just being in the mindset of PMI. Because many times, this is one of the things we have to stress in class, many times it's not what I do in my job, my eight to five, the company that I'm working for, or those that I've worked for in the past, is what's the proper approach, what's the mindset that I need to have for PMI as I'm looking at these questions.
3: You know, I've had some students that had many, many years of experience in the project management arena. Their hardest challenge was not relying on their experience to pass the exam, but understanding the PMI approach. Putting on the mind of PMI sometimes is a very overt type of an activity. You have to almost force yourself not to trust what has made you successful thus far, but learn how PMI wants you to approach their certification with their exam and their choice of the correct answers.
2: Wendy, one of the other tips is just to simply know the framework for predictive. There are ten different knowledge areas in the PMBOK Guide. There are a number of processes related to those. So knowing the framework for predictive is a, a great place to be, especially for those that don't have experience with it that are agile based.
3: I agree. You have to know what you know and trust it on the exam. But the additional content for those who are familiar with waterfall predictive is to beef up their knowledge base in the agile. Approach. Uh, half the exam will be agile and/or hybrid approaches, and there you need to be familiar with the agile principles and the values that fall out of the agile manifesto. And then this this whole concept of hybrid. Don't be afraid of it. There are two personalities of it. One is a composite, where maybe part of your project is really very predictive, but maybe it has an agile component over here. Maybe a part of your WBS has an agile outsourced component or whatever. That's composite. And maybe you've got an overall agile project, but it has a component over here that's being managed predictively. It's pretty clear cut and you can take a structured waterfall approach to achieving that portion. The other personality of hybrid is, I don't call it composite, I call it blended. And that's where you don't have identifiable pockets of predictive or agile. What you have is sort of the best of both worlds. You adopt and go with the processes that are successful for your project, maybe drawing some from a predictive approach, maybe some from an agile approach. Some of the principles apply. And the guidance for when to use this type of a hybrid may be for when you have very unclear requirements. Maybe you're doing a research project and you really don't know what the end game is. Or maybe you're trying to look at a new technology and understand, hey, is this something that we can productize in our organization? So you don't really know the conclusion. You don't have a clear target. A hybrid approach may be the best choice in that situation.
2: You know, another piece of advice as a leader of a predictive project that's using a predictive approach versus a leader of an agile team, it's very different. It's just a different approach. So one of the keys is to look at the question and diagnose it and see, okay, what's being described here? Is this scenario an agile environment, an agile project, or is this more of a predictive or waterfall project? Because then I put the correct hat on when I look at the, the answers to see, okay, what's the appropriate response for me to take as a leader? Because it's different if it's agile than if it's predictive. So you've got to diagnose that question first.
3: One of the biggest differences are the roles of a project manager versus a team facilitator. So understanding the differences in those roles will help you interpret the question so that you can guide your response appropriately.
1: Are there lots of calculations required and memorizing formulas? Those would be the worst for me.
3: I can give you some tough calculation questions that will frustrate you to no end, but that will not prepare you for the PMP exam. There can be some deep science and uh, technology related to predictive project management, but that's not the main thrust in this uh, updated ECO. I think you need to understand how to interpret. What does this metric mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, But you don't necessarily have to calculate the metric.
2: Right, right. CPI is a great quick example, cost performance index. We used to really dive deep into how to calculate it. Now it's more like, okay, if you're given a CPI of 1.2, is that good or
3: bad? And what should you do in right. that scenario? Right. So, how to interpret the situation and move forward?
1: The exam itself is it still a pass fail scenario?
3: Yes, it is, but a few Mostly things have passed changed. though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yes, and on PMI's website, some of this content comes from the exam content outline. Some of it comes from PMI's website. But yes, the exam has changed. It used to be four hours. Now it's 230 minutes. Mm. So it's three hours and 50 minutes. Uh, There are two 10-minute breaks that you get. So you take your first 60 questions. Then you have an opportunity to review those questions. Then you take a 10-minute break. After you've taken that break, you don't get to go back on those 60 questions. They're in the book, right? Those are done. Then you take questions 61 through 120. So you got that next set of 60, and then you take another 10-minute break, and then you come back and take the remaining 60 questions, and you're
3: done. So what you're saying is there are 180 questions in three sessions of 60 questions each. Okay. Do all 180 of those questions count, Bill?
2: 175 count. Even when they had the 200 questions on the exam, only 175 counted and Sierra calls those other five unscored. They use those to see how they're gonna perform if they decide to put them in the test bank. Let's talk a minute about the question formats, Lewis. I know we've simulated this in uh, Insight, our self-paced practice test, so talk to
3: me about how you built those out. Well, the traditional question type was what I laughingly call multiple guess, but it's really called multiple choice, where only one answer applies, And you typically would see a radio button if one applies. There's a newer question type called multiple select. So you would see maybe a checkbox so that you could choose more than one. So there might be four or five, maybe six choices, and you choose all that apply to the question. And then there's one that we've called a hot spot, or I like to say pick the right spot. And that's a graph or some type of an image. And you're asked a question about, some characteristic, and you should choose which location on that graph is the correct answer to the question.
2: Okay. So I could see something like with earned value or with um, even a schedule, having to interpret a milestone or, mm-hmm. or pick or, a point or, of Or risk. even a
3: quality control chart or cost baseline yeah. or any type of visual, you know. Got to pick the spot. And then there's also matching type of a question. I like to call it drag and drop, where maybe you've got four choices on the left to match with four choices on the right, and you drag maybe the, the right hand over to the left-hand God. side to line them up correctly. You know, Bill, the thing that I ask is, when you have these types of answers that could be partially correct and partially incorrect, people might say, hey, do I get partial credit? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, you get the point or you don't get the point. Right, so you've yeah, got to get all of those matching correct to yeah. win the entire point.
2: To quote Sierra, the person in charge of the exam, it's all or nothing. So you've got to get it right. If you don't get the entire thing right, then, yeah, you don't get the point. Lewis, you get an immediate score, and I'm using air quotes, which I'm sure everybody can see on this podcast. You get an immediate score or feedback on your exam. Yeah,
3: immediate is relative. If you're thinking it's going to be an instantaneous response, then don't be shocked. Don't think that you've broken the system because it's taking a little while to grade your exam. It's going through and and, uh, doing a good job for accuracy. And it may report to you in 30 seconds or sometimes 60 seconds. And I remember in my own experience, I felt I had broken the machine and I was about to raise my hand and ask the proctor for some help because uh, it wasn't giving me a result. But I decided just to keep sitting there And it came back and said, I passed. Mm -hmm. It may have even used the word congratulations, so I I felt happy about that. Now, describe the
2: score summary. What should the student expect when they uh, get that good news?
3: Well, you will get an exam report from your testing center or from PMI, depending on your testing mode. And you will be rated on your exam. Of course, it's pass-fail, but you're given uh, some relative idea of how well you passed There are four ratings. Above target means you've more than satisfactorily answered the bulk of the questions in different categories. And you get an overall score for the exam. The highest level is above target. Step down from that to target. And both of these are considered passing, in my understanding. Mm -hmm. And then if uh, you're not satisfactory, you may get a rating of below target, where you've got a little more work to do in those subjects. And then there's needs improvement, which means, wow, you need to shed some wood on that subject and try again harder. But the nice thing is you're given some guidance in each domain, the people, the process domain, and the business environment domain. You're given those same four ratings in each of those domains so that you can get a little feedback about where you excelled. Our students love to tell us, I got above target in every category, Mm -hmm. and we pat ourselves on the back and congratulate them. But if you didn't get above target in every category, you can at least see where you were maybe a little bit weaker. So it's a good report. It gives you a little bit of guidance, but it's not going to tell you that you scored 150 out of 180 or any percentage score. You won't get that level of guidance.
1: Another question, which I think our listeners are going to want to ask is, PMI released the 7th edition PMBOK guide in July. Is this going to affect an exam change?
2: Eventually. Yes, it will eventually. The exam, the PMP exam gets updated for two reasons, either a new study, a role delineation study, or a new PMBOK guide edition. So eventually it will, but not now. PMI stated that the PMP exam will not change when the seventh edition is released. Again, to quote Sierra Hampton-Simmons back in May of 2021, she said, nothing will change. There's no change. The PMP test is based on the exam content outline.
1: We're going to change the conversation just a little bit and talk about Velociteach and how these exam changes have impacted us as a company. We don't usually talk much about ourselves and what we do, but I think it's really relevant here with the discussion of the exam because that's what we do as a company. Andy found Velociteach to help people achieve their goal of passing certification exams and to be better at their jobs. So I want to know from you guys if you could explain what's our approach to these exam changes.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, we updated everything. <laughs> we yeah. have so much content. It's like, Louis, you and I have been working with the companies since 2005, and uh, it's like every year we think of another way to help people prepare for the exam. So, you know, let's create a flashcard app. Let's uh, record conversations. Let's have a textbook. We basically had to update everything.
3: As instructional designers, we've learned that people learn in different ways. And so we've tried to assimilate each of those different ways of learning into some other type of a learning or study aid. And when you accumulate a deep bench of things, different players for the game, then when it's time to retool, you've got to retool every one of those uh, approaches. It all started with the book.
2: So Andy started first by updating the book course, uh, Lewis and I helped with some of the questions and other content in that. But I can't remember the final page count. There were 80 to 100 pages that we added to the book. I think about the flashcards. I think the final number
3: on that flashcard app, we added maybe 200 more. Way over 600 at this point Mm -hmm. as far as different flashcards. And then our quick reference guide, of course, is a, a quick view into the textbook. So that had to be updated as well. There's an interesting learning tool The conversations on the PMP exam, its it has grown. It originally was about five hours of audio way back when we first began Mm -hmm. to create this. And I think now we're over eight hours of conversation now. We've added content. We added a lot of Agile content, about an hour. Mm -hmm. And then there's our e-learning component. Yeah,
2: right. The e-learning component, we've got the main flagship course that prepares people and provides those 35 contact hours. We added substantial agile content to that. We also, I think we, we added kind of the agile perspective into each one of those knowledge areas to give additional content there.
3: And then we got into the practice tests. Well, that's fun yeah. because we get to put on the mind of PMI and think what types of questions might be asked. And, you know, I followed a particular strategy as we began to inventory the questions that we had that were perfectly adequate and then the ones that we needed to add to cover the new content. And we took a different approach. We looked at that list of 133 enablers across the new exam content outline, and we very diligently and systematically went through and made sure that we had practice test questions that covered each of those 133 enablers.
2: Yeah, and I think systematic is the right word. Um, We were able to map all 133 enablers to specific questions in our practice test. So we have, uh, I think it's four
3: sets of practice tests. Is it A, B, C, and D? Is that right? A, B, and C standalone practice that's tests. Right. But then we have a practice test database tied to the, the flagship course, and that's got over 500 practice questions in it. And those are all in addition to the hundreds of practice test questions that are in the textbook.
2: Yeah, right? that's true. Lewis, you work diligently with the IT team to simulate the formats in our practice tests, in our testing lab, that they're actually going to see on the exam. So we've got the matching, the, the multi-selects, the hotspot, so that they've simulated the actual experience.
3: My philosophy in preparing someone to take the PMP exam is to minimize the new experiences that happen in the exam itself. Because I believe that new experiences increase stress and anxiety during the test And I believe that correlates to a loss of points on the exam. It's all about points, putting them in the bank. So if we can expose our students to the experiences that they will have during the exam, then nothing should be new on the exam. They go through and perform as instructed and uh, get that PMP, order new business cards, celebrate. That's right. And that dark cloud that was following them all around thinking, oh, no, I have to take this p p exam, that dark cloud disappears.
2: There you go. One more thing to say about those practice test questions. One of the approaches or strategies that we took, again, it kind of goes back to comments that Sierra made back in a, an interview in May of 2021. As you said, it's a scenario-based exam. So many of the questions are going to present a scenario. We'll see less of the calculations and more of the analysis of the data. We'll see less about ITTOs, the inputs, tools, outputs and more about the actions of project managers to have a successful project. So that's the approach that we took. That was the mindset we took into that ECO as we wrote those questions.
1: This has been a huge task to make these changes. How difficult has this effort been?
2: Well, it's not our first rodeo. This is what we do, and we have done this before. Lewis, I'm thinking six or eight exam Uh, changes. At
3: least half a dozen times we have gone through our entire repertoire of uh, learning aids and study aids and tuned them up for the current ECO or the current guide to the PIMBOK edition. You know, it's been rewarding because that has benefited hundreds of thousands of PMP candidates and helped bring them to a successful certification.
2: You know, I think an advantage that we had too, Lewis, was Agile is easy for us. We had a lot of content that we'd already written. Andy wrote a book how to pass the PMI-ACP on your first try.
3: You've written course content. You know, we've got fundamentals on Agile. You know, it's not just an academic view of Agile. It's also a reflection of our own use. We use Agile concepts and principles and values internally as we develop and incrementally deliver these additional study aids for our, for our students.
1: Well, folks, we're very excited today to have with us Samuel Mills. He is just outside of San Antonio, Texas, and we are going to be asking him a couple of questions or more than a couple of questions about the PMP exam, which he recently passed.
2: Yeah, congratulations, Samuel. That is awesome that you passed. Oh,
0: thank you so much. It was a lot of work, you know, going through the whole process and having it finished and completed and passed. I'm happy to be done.
2: Yeah, that's such a good feeling when you, you know, you set out for it and then pass it. So tell us how did you do? What were your scores?
0: So I was above target on all the areas.
2: That is awesome.
1: Well done. So first question I'm gonna ask you about the exam taking. Did you do it online or did you go to a testing center? Which did you decide to do?
0: I opted to take it at home online through the Pearson View online application. You know, I didn't want to have to deal with the stress of driving to the testing yeah. center or having to fill out paperwork, deal with anybody. I just wanted to sit home, pop up at my computer and take the exam.
2: Was it like I, I've heard people talk about having to get like butcher paper and cover up everything in the room and hold your laptop up and kind of move the camera around to show people that everything work out OK as far as that went?
0: So I took that, I read through the instructions that Pearson VUE has. Yeah. And I really set out, I was like, well, my office is full of computer screens and books. So I decided I'm going to go out to the kitchen table. I can set up my laptop there. And Pearson VUE has a, a really simple process for going through setting your computer up. They say a couple days before the exam, make sure that your computer can run the application software. They have steps for that online. So I did that. Even the day of the exam, I made sure that my computer was still ready to go operating. You know, Sometimes you'll have to take out a firewall or anything like that so that the application can run properly. And then 15 minutes before your exam, when you uh, go to sign in, they're going to ask you to use your smartphone. They they ask, can you use your smartphone or your laptop? And so I, I told them I can use my smartphone and So you take a picture of in front of your computer, behind your computer, and then a picture of your ID. And, you know, it was a really simple process to get set up.
1: Could you tell us a little bit about your application process? There's a streamlined application process for the exam. How did you find that?
0: I know initially when I was preparing to get all the application materials, you know, get everything submitted, it took me a little while to get my motivation to just go do it. Well, what I found is, is that PMI is really streamlining the application process. So you go in, they ask you one question, you answer it, and then you type in your experience. I had a spreadsheet on the side where I documented all my experience so that it was there and I could reference it if I needed it in case of that audit. Thankfully, I wasn't audited.
2: Samuel, I wanted to ask you about managing your time during the exam. So you have the 230 minutes, you have the clock running down. But then did you have, you know, take 60 questions, take a 10-minute break, take another 60, take a break? Is that how it took place for you?
0: So, yes. When I was looking at everything on Pearson VUE about an hour before the exam, I noticed they said in one of the notes that, yes, you're going to take 60 questions, and then they have a 10-minute break built in, 60 questions, and then a 10-minute break built in, and then the final 60 for 180 questions. I was really happy to hear that and read that because that's been one of my areas where I was struggling in my preparation was the the time management. Yeah. And going through the exam, those uh, first 60 questions just knocked the snot out of you. It was, <laughs> um, you know, I was pressed for time on that one. I felt like that first section, I, I took a little bit longer than I needed to. But once I got through that first section and I got to that first 10 minute break, it was like, okay, take a breath all the nerves out, refocus. And then I went through the rest of the exam. It was tough. I was pressed for time for those last two sections, but I was able to get through the exam and, you know, I I passed. So uh, I'm
2: happy about that. (laughs) Yeah. Above target all the way. I'd say you definitely passed.
1: Now you took some classes through Velocity teach when you were preparing for your test. What tools did you find that really worked best for you? In your preparation? Yeah,
0: I took the prep PMP class with Velocity Teach. And what I like about that whole course was the learning styles that are implemented in the training, whether that be for auditory learners or kinetic learners or visual learners. They have exercises and tools to help everyone who's studying for the exam. For me, I'm an auditory learner, so the audio conversations were really helpful. But knowing how this exam is fabled and brought up as a tough exam, I embraced the mind maps. I embraced reading the textbook. I went through it several times. And even though maybe that wasn't my strongest point for learning, I embraced it because I knew that if I could immerse myself in the material and understand how PMI is going to ask these questions and their approach to project management, then I, I would be ready to go for it. The whole course really set me up for success.
2: Samuel, I get that. I think all of us have a little bit of the different learning styles in us. You know, there's usually one stronger one for a person. In your case, it's auditory. But then the visual helps a bit too. The practice test, you know, the repetition helps as well. I wanted to ask you a question. I know when I was preparing for the PMP, it had been years since I'd taken a standardized test. So I was like really nervous about taking a standardized test and the practice tests really helped me a lot. Did you make use of the practice tests much in insight when you were preparing?
0: Absolutely. So the practice tests and the practice questions were very key. And what I liked about them was once you completed those practice tests, you could set, you know, how many questions you wanted to work on. Then at the end of that practice exam, it gave you explanations and walked you through how to approach the different questions you may face on an exam. I really liked that because it allowed me to test, do I really know the material? Can I put myself in a situation and apply what I've learned? I thought that was really key. That's the strategy, you know, for approaching this exam. I think a lot of people can get wrapped up in just memorization, 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 and that's good, but it's being able to apply the material that that you're learning. I found that to be very, very key and helpful.
1: So we are probably going to have a lot of listeners listening in who are considering taking the exam. What words of advice would you give to them? Well, one thing
0: is I want to give a word of encouragement to everyone that, you know, you're going to be looking at this and when you're first starting, it looks like a huge mountain to climb, but you just have to take one step forward and then just take another step and uh, you're going to get to your PMP. A lot of people will ask, you know, oh, there's just not enough time in the world to study and prepare. I have four young kids at home; they're all under the age of five, five or younger, and I found time to study. I set out several weeks before my exam. I would take my lunch break and I would pop up my um, book, and then I would just go through the material and just. Practice that, and and that was my lunch. You know, I would eat and study, eat and study, and just taking a step forward got me to where I was ready for the exam. And even when I was taking the exam, I was like, Ugh, you know, not sure, but I was able to pass. If you're struggling for time, you can find time. You just got to be creative with where you're going to get that time.
2: Coming from the father of so many young kids, you're definitely being creative with your studying. That's awesome. Eat and study, yeah. eat and study.
0: And then another thing I would like to share is that, you know, when I was practicing at home or studying at home, I would go out to my kitchen table where I knew I was going to take the exam. And I had the exact chair where I was going to take it. I had my laptop up, I had my book out, I had my materials. And when I sat in that chair, I was focused on the PMP, I was focused on the material. And anytime I would study, I would try to make it in that same spot. So when I came in for the exam, my whole mind, my whole focus was on the ATMP.
2: Coming from the voice of reality in somebody who's fresh taking it and overcame the challenge of four little kids. No. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much.
1: Lewis, looking ahead, what advice do you have for those future test takers? Do
3: not underestimate the difficulty of this exam. Approach it as a project, plan how you're going to prepare target your goal, and do what you've been instructed to do. Follow through with the proper study and you will show yourself prepared when it's exam time.
2: I think one of the keys too is just like anything else, you've got to pick that date, right? You've got to schedule it. You've got to commit to it. And commitment means you have scheduled a date for the exam. Then you can go, all right, what's the best approach for me to take? Given my learning style, am I a visual learner, an auditory learner, a kinesthetic learner? We've developed content at Velocity to help everybody, regardless of your style uh, for learning. And and also knowing, am I disciplined enough and do I have the freedom in my schedule where I'm a do-it-yourselfer? I can approach this on my own. I can start with a book. I can add some practice tests or maybe take some online learning stuff. Or do I really need to carve out for my busy schedule? These are the days that I can really go deep in this. I need a boot camp. I need an instructor. It's kind of a know thyself. You know, what's the best approach for me?
3: You know, and the biggest advice I can give is don't drag this out. Mm -hmm. Set your goal. Put your mind to doing the, the work. Do the study and then go take the exam. Don't let that dark cloud follow you around for six months or a year because it'll bring you down. Look for that sunny day of, hey, I've passed the exam and I can get on with my PMP life.
1: That's it for us here on Manage This. Thank you for joining us. You can visit us at velociteach.com where you can also subscribe to this podcast and see a complete transcript of the show. And you just earn those professional development units by listening to this podcast. To claim them, go to velociteach.com Choose Manage This Podcast from the top of the page and click the button that says Claim PDUs and follow through the steps. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.